Hello, and welcome to Joe's Boys. This is a podcast for little women, little men, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Peyton Thomas. I'm the author of the novel Both Sides Now. I'm also a writer for publications like Pitchfork, Billboard, and Vanity Fair. I'm here today with my very special guest, Hannah Kahn. Hannah is an award-winning children's author who's written many books, including Amina's Voice, which was named one of the best books of 2017 by the Washington Post, Kirkus Reviews, NPR, and many, many more, like so many. She also wrote More to the Story, a contemporary adaptation of Little Women that takes place in a Pakistani-American family and centers on one Jamila Mirza and her quest for school paper greatness. Hannah, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. This is going to be so much fun. I can tell already. Yes, I know. I'm vibrating. So I already read more to the story a while ago before this podcast was even a twinkle in my eye. So I'm. this is like a full celebrity moment here for me. <laughs> Thank you. And now, I mean, this might be obvious, but what's your relationship to Little Women? Yeah, so well, I... I have my copy in front of me, which is, I know everyone can't see me, but it's taped <laughs> together. It actually has little little men on the opposite side. So that's little <gasps> women. And when you flip it over, it's little men. So it's two books in one. And this was one of the books we had at home. At the, and it actually belonged to my sister. I think my mom gave it to my sister. I think it was a garage sale find. And I used to borrow it from her and read it all the way through several times. And then I got to a point where I would just pick it up and wherever the book fell open, I would just read from that section. And and sometimes I was in the mood for a particular chapter and I'd search for it, but I would read it all the time. And my family would know where I was in the house, depending on where the book was. <laughs> and when my sister would get mad at me, she would take it. And then I'd have to beg for it back. And eventually she gifted it to me because she knows how special it is to me. But it's just a story that deeply resonated with young me and in a way that I didn't understand when I was younger, but I think I understand a little more now. I'm sure like many readers, yeah, I'm so excited to talk about it because it's just very, very special to me. I would say I would classify it and I I have classified it as as my all-time favorite book. And so when did the idea to write your own interpretation come into view for you? Yeah, I thought about it actually when I was a judge or sort of like a guest speaker for a contest uh, called Letters in Literature for DC Public Libraries. And the kids had written letters to authors, living or dead, who had inspired them in some way or whose work meant a lot to them. And I was reading through the finalists and was so blown away by these kids and all the amazing insights they had into their own personalities and what these books meant to them. And I started thinking about, for my remarks, like what I would say and talk about. And I thought about who I would want to write to if I could. And so I thought about this book and what it meant to me and why it meant so much to me. And I realized during that process, I think as somebody growing up as a Pakistani American Muslim with no representation in kid lit whatsoever, the fact that I latched onto this book, so many people do for so many reasons, but I think for me, it might have had something to do with the fact that it was so comforting to me to read about these girls growing up in a different era, but yet a lot of the things that are in this book were very familiar to me as a child of immigrants, the gender norms and the societal expectations and what will other people think? And even things like respect for parents and the morality stuff that seeps into the book was just really, really familiar to me. And I realize now that maybe I couldn't always identify with kids in books I was reading, I always felt like a bit of an outsider, but in this sense, I felt more connected in this particular way and maybe more so even than contemporary books or television shows where kids could sass their parents, you know, like, Like, I would be more like these girls. So I really think that's what moved me to think about an adaptation. 
my book ended up being less of a retelling, as you know, as, as more of like an inspired by where I thought it just lends itself so well to a family of my background and sort of taking the pieces that I love so much from this book and weaving it into a new story with four sisters similar to these characters. I love that. That is such a fascinating answer. Not what I was expecting at all. I mean, no. <laughs> the fact that you were like, yup, yup, yup. So many parts of this are applicable to my own identity in a way that Lizzie McGuire just isn't. The family structure is so familiar. Like, that's a really mm. interesting answer. Little Women is a book that, despite reading as overtly Christian to us today, and certainly that's, <laughs> that's in the text, it was actually banned on release by the Sunday School Library in the Christian Union. Wow. Yes. Yeah. For what? <laughs> on what basis? Specifically because of the play that takes place in the second chapter. That was the sticking point. And we have a letter from Alcott's editor saying, some very pious people have objected to the Christmas play. Is there anything you could replace it with? So we know that the content of the play was the issue and sticking point specifically. Now in that play, there's witchcraft. Joe is cross-dressing as a boy and playing a love interest to a girl. <laughs> Lots of moving parts there. But that was, so it was a book that, although today a lot of people consider it to be a very Christian text at the mm -hmm. time. <laughs> that That's was so interesting. Yeah. yeah. But so it has this reputation anyway, as being, I had another guest, Naomi Kanaki, be like, this book is so Protestant. <laughs> but you from literal sentence one are making this about your faith background. Instead of Christmas won't be Christmas without any presents, we get, this is the worst Eid ever. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I think that's the most yeah. direct connection I made yes. between you probably, you probably thought from that initial part that it was going to be much more true to the original story <laughs> than it ends yeah. up being. Yeah. That was my like nod to all the little women readers out there. So it was my like, signal. Like, guess what you're like, getting. <laughs> plug right in. And go. Yeah. I was just curious about what was important to you to include to make this a distinctly Muslim story. Wow. I haven't thought about that, but well, obviously starting with Eid was clear mm -hmm. from the get-go, but what I appreciated about the book when I was growing up, even as a Muslim person, what I could connect with was the way that the faith of the kids and the characters, it was just sort of woven into their daily yeah. life. And it wasn't like a special, I mean, there were moments that stood out like Amy's chapel or, you know, things like that. But for the most part, it was just sort of there. And I feel like for me and my family, in terms of how Islam is often practiced, it's sort of just part of your daily life and your existence. And your day is punctuated with rituals like prayers and things like that. But in your speech, we pepper it with words, you know, like inshallah and mashallah and alhamdulillah. Like we, we, it's just part of who we are, the way we greet each other it's, and so on. So for me, that was the main thing, like just have it be there. And it's not something I was trying to call out or really emphasize specifically, but it just really is who these girls are. And it just makes its way into their life and their identity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that certainly comes across so clearly. I learned a lot reading the book, which was very exciting for me. And I'm sure that to kids who maybe could read and identify with little women like you did, like this just adds a whole nother layer. It's like, oh no, like this literally is my life now. <laughs> oh, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. And of course, it's just one representation of yeah. like one type of Muslim family. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure like others who are more conservative or more practicing would be like, oh, right. you know, and I, I've, I, in fact, I read one reviewer who's, I think I maybe refer to how mom is more practicing than dad. And, you know, they, they commented right. on that, but it's representative yeah. of the types of families I know. So hopefully sure. yeah, people see yeah. pieces of themselves. <laughs> and I wanted to talk about just because the chapter we're getting into, there's not a ton of Beth in it, but your Beth Bisma, it seems like the most important relationship to me in the book was the relationship between Jamila and Bisma and Jamila's experience of Bisma's illness. Why was it important for you to highlight that element of the original text? Yeah. 
These are such great questions I haven't thought about. But when I initially thought about writing this book, I was imagining it as a young adult novel. Mm -hmm. And I thought it would focus more on the Joe-Lori relationship and even the marriage proposals and Meg's or my character, Mariam's, being pursued by, in my mind, it was going to be the aunties bringing their sons over to look at this pretty girl and, you know, (laughs) stuff that goes (laughs) on. And and, and it's still happening in my culture. And then when I actually sat down to write it, I just, I, I couldn't get the YA voice right. And it just, it didn't feel right to me. So I went back and thought about how to age it down. And I knew that for a middle grade story, it would have to be so much simpler. The dating component really would be eliminated almost completely. But I actually didn't go back to the original text. I read it so much as a kid that I felt like the words were almost like, I didn't have to even read them. You know, my eyes would just scan them and I knew what I was getting. So I actually didn't pick up the book and I just went from memory and the scenes and the moments that you see in my book are just the the ones that I chose to pick. And I think for me in trying to capture that age and what was really important to Jamila, I thought about what would be the biggest things in her life and having this new friend, her Lori, who's Ali in her life and what he means to her, having dad move far away, of course, her own personal quest to be the writer she wants to be. And then of course her sister's illness. So I think for me, that was just something that in the book, I think hit me so hard. And the fact that the sisters paired off and that Joe and Beth had that special sweetness. And I think I was just very, very affected by that. And I think I kind of wanted to rewrite the elements that I didn't love. You know, I hated the fact that we lose Beth in this book. And so I was like, okay, I'll have her be seriously ill, but sorry, it's a spoiler. We won't necessarily lose her. So that was my thinking as well. How to have it be a really life altering change for the family, but something that could still be hopeful and positive. I definitely see that. And I, I've read a few contemporary adaptations. Beth lives in so many of these. <laughs> so many people are like, over my, over my dead body. That's not a good right, thing. Right, right. I will not kill Beth. I could talk to you about this book all day, but we are here to talk about Little Women. And I do just want to go back to your own copy of Little Women because you were like, I knew it so well. I didn't have to go back to it. This is an audio medium, so you can't see, but Henna's copy of Little Women truly is the way that 40-year-old white men treat infinite jest is like the way (laughs) (laughs) it's thick as a brick. It's falling apart. I could see the strings coming out of it. It's just great. You are obviously a pro. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you. Um, on Castles in the Air. So a bit of pre-discussion intel you gave me was that you wanted to call more to the story Castles in the Air. So it's serendipity that we're talking about that. Amazing. Yeah, it was one of the titles I threw out there as a possibility, one that I really like, because I think I just, I love the phrasing and so dreamy. Yeah, it's how serendipitous that we're talking about this chapter. I love it. So do you want to just break down what happens in chapter 13, Castles in the Air? Yeah. So I love that it's sort of a break from the rest of what's been going on. And I remember feeling that way as a kid. It was just this quiet moment in the story, but there's actually a lot more going on too, where you get to see a really grumpy Lori, which I identified with very much in a bad mood and hating life. And then he sees his friends going off and seem to be leaving him on some kind of adventure. So he runs after them and finds that they're going on this little retreat, I guess, to work together on things that are important to them individually. And so he happens upon them and sees them. And it's a really beautiful moment where he spies them and Beth summons him to come join. And then they end up chatting about their dreams and what they would like their futures to look like. And you get a sense of all of their personalities really clearly what they're all after. And then the part that's stuck with me is that Lori's dream is to be rich and and all of them want to be rich and famous, except for (laughs) Beth. But when Lori explains how he's impatient to get to that part of his life and he just wants to run away and, and just 
be there already. And he says that he doesn't want to wait. And Joe eggs him on and is sort of like, just go, you know, run away. <laughs> and then he sort of gets reeled <laughs> back in by Meg. And she gets, he gets a little bit of a lecture on why it's important for him to be there for his grandfather and to be nice to his tutor. And he, he calms down and, and realizes that it's probably yeah. for the best. So it has a sweet message, as many of the chapters do too, in terms of mm-hmm. being patient and owning your responsibilities and, and caring about the people who love you, but in a very real way. No, I mean, reading this chapter, I want to be in that little meadow so bad. I want I to be know, in the society. I want to <laughs> <laughs> That's a great recap. Even just a good summary of the themes of the book, which I think also this chapter is. It's a really elegant midpoint that is like, okay, this is where I've been. This is where I'm going with this. Are you with me? <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. moment. I think the most immediate thing to note about this one is it might be I mean, don't quote me on this. It might be the only chapter, it certainly is the only one so far that is narrated by Laurie. He is the point of view character here. It's out of the March household, at least. It's from his perspective, from the first word to the last one. I don't know if we get to be back in Laurie's head again until the second half, maybe. Mm. So already there's that interesting narrative thing happening. And like you highlighted this hilarious first paragraph, he's extremely grumpy. He's having a rotten day and he's also making some mischief, which. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. There was a phrase that I picked up. I don't know if I remember reading this as a kid, but just fuming at the stupidity of the world in general. I love that now. I'm like, I totally get you. I feel you, Lori. (laughs) I have to tell you, like, as soon as you were like, oh, that phrase, I like my eyes fell down on fume over the stupidity of the world in general. And I was like, that's what she's going to say. And it was. Yeah. yeah. This is a good portrait into Lori's life without the March sisters before they've come into it. He's not really being parented or raised in community with anyone. And that's kind of sad. And I think over the course of the story, he really gets to find a family in the March sisters and in the March family, especially Marmy, there's a great moment. I think Joe says, you need a motive, mother says. And when you get it, she is sure you'll work splendidly. And Lori goes, is she? By Jupiter, I will. If only I get the chance. Joe's mother believing in him motivates him. Like that's the degree to which he's kind of adopted her as a mother figure. So it's funny just because Lori's being a little stinker, but it's, you know, it's also like, oh, this is what, this was every day of Lori's life before (laughs) the March sisters intervened and were like, oh, you need friends. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I found in your book, the portrayal of Ali was very, I thought, empathetic to, you didn't kill off both of his parents, just one, Mm -hmm. because I was a little, (laughs) like, okay, you have one parent as a treat. (laughs) I think the portrait of grief was just so alive in your book. I wonder if you see any of that in Lori's grumpy day moment a little bit. Well, I feel like what endeared me so much to Lori as a reader was just that he is this frustrated, angry kid, but he's so lovable too. He is a pleaser too and jokes around and makes the girls laugh and he's there and he's fun. And I like that he's not this perfect, dashing hero. He's he's flawed. <laughs> and yeah. and that's what I wanted Ali to be like too. I don't know what possessed me to make him British. I, I think I must have been <laughs> thinking about the fact that I yeah. wanted him to come from far away, I guess. And, yeah. I, and there are there is obviously the huge Pakistani or South Asian community mm-hmm. in England. But I actually had to, had to go through and read the dialogue with somebody who mm-hmm. lives there <laughs> to make sure yeah. I wasn't just making things up. <laughs> but you know, I wanted him to be charming and mysterious mm-hmm. in this different way that I felt like Laurie was to me as a reader. 
But still, even though he's maybe in pain and he has this sense of loss and is trying to find his way, he still has this charm and coolness about him. Yeah. (laughs) So to me, that was important. Yeah, I think that you hit on something really important there with understanding that you're like, I don't know why I made him British, but I think it works in your book in the same way it works in this book, which is just that even though Laurie has a lot in common with the girls, he's also coming from a different cultural context. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. He has different signifiers, at least there are things he can Mm -hmm. relate to them with, but different slang that he's using. There's an episode we did with Daniel Okrink, who is a scholar of anti-Italian sentiment and anti-Italian immigration efforts around this Mm -hmm. time. And Mm -hmm. we did an episode with him that was all about Lori's Italian background. And Mm. I learned a lot that I didn't know, which it's kind of interesting to read in this context because Lori, he talks about his father. He says, I've got to do just as grandfather did unless I break away and please myself as my father did. His father married an Italian woman, married someone he loved, even though that was not okay in the context Mm. of 19th century Boston Brahmin society. And so Lori is by the standards of the day, although not 21st century, he's biracial, like he has this Italian background. And one thing I learned in my discussion with Daniel Okrent was Lori being of Italian descent, he wouldn't have been able to go to graduate school. He could have gone to Harvard, but undergrad, there would have been, especially as he was growing up, anti-Italian discrimination became much more of a societal force. So when he's saying, I don't want to go to college, I don't want to be part of this world, I think there's a very real element of the ethnic discrimination that he's already faced. Mm. And that might be an element of his not wanting to go further and further into this world of his grandfather, which obviously was discriminatory because (laughs) his grandfather disowned Lori's dad for marrying an Italian woman. And and the fact that he's rejecting that. I mean, he's not interested in that life, right? And that's why he's like, I I don't care about these spices and I don't care if they like sink to the bottom of the ocean. Like, I don't don't want them and I don't want to do that. And I love that. I love that that's something that he and Joe have in common, obviously, that, you know, they're both not interested in what is prescribed for them. And I think so many readers can identify with that idea. Lori does have a role model of someone who went a different way and lived very happily, but is almost now being asked, okay, do you want to make that same choice or... (laughs) the choice that your grandmother would have preferred you make. I don't know. It's You highlight the line, he wants me to be an Indian merchant as he was, and I'd rather be shot. I hate tea and silk and spices and every sort of rubbish his home ships bring, and I don't care how soon they go to the bottom when I own it. So it's a bit, I don't love that. I I can't decide if this is an anti-colonial moment or (laughs) him just being like, oh, I I don't like, or if he's just being racist. (laughs) Right. 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 Does he not want to participate in this extractionism or is he just like, Right. Or just that that's that's just that life isn't mine and I don't want it and I have other plans. It's one way to see it too. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a lot going on here. How do you how do you read that line about Lori like I hate tea and silk and spices and all that rubbish? Yeah, I, I think I read it as just that he, it serves as his grandfather's purposes, and mm-hmm. it's obviously made him enormously wealthy. Yeah. And you, you do get the sense of Laurie throughout the book that his wealth is something that he just takes for granted and enjoys, but doesn't necessarily enjoy. <laughs> At the yeah, same time, it's yeah. made him extremely lonely. Mm-hmm. So I think he likes the simplicity of the March lifestyle and mm-hmm. the love that's there. So yeah. to me, I read it as just a rejection of that whole life and yeah. what came of it more so yeah. than like specifically. I feel like he wouldn't necessarily have that sophistication at that time to know what it means in a larger context. Yeah, that Um, that makes sense. Yeah. You also touched on something really important, which is just Laurie deciding which world he wants to be a part of. He's the narrator here. And when Joe has been the narrator, we hear a lot about Joe's tomboy attributes and not wanting to be a part of the world of women. And it's interesting here when the point of view is flipped, Laurie is 
like there's not a word for it that's not derogatory but Lori is kind of a tom girl mm. really wanting to be a part of the mark sisters world to do the same activities as them there's a line Meg lifted her eyebrows, but Joe scowled at her defiantly and said at once, of course you may join us. We should have asked you before, only we thought you wouldn't care for such a girl's game as this. And that tells me that Joe got outvoted, but um, we thought you wouldn't care for such a girl's game as this. Lori answers, I always like your games, but if Meg don't want me, I'll go away. And it's just very like, (laughs) it's very sweet. Yeah, it's very sweet. Like and especially coming moment, after the yeah. part earlier where he, t- he mm-hmm. talks about the shadow passing over his face when he watches them feeling like he should go away because he wasn't invited. And you're like, oh, yeah. you just sense this longing in him, which reminds yeah. me of the first part of the book where he's staring out the window and mm-hmm. Joe initiates contact and just that yeah. lonely soul. And yeah. he has this chance to be with these charming people doing charming things. And he's totally into it. Yeah. He's saying it's dull as the desert of Sahara down there. Shall I sew? is the first thing he wants to do which is like I don't know that there were a lot of little boys going around sewing in this time like so yeah so that's another like can I can I do the girly thing can I can I there's another little line that I love we know that Lori is miffed about not being invited but also once he's followed them and gotten up to the threshold he's like okay but can I be invited it's not something that he feels free to just take It has to be given to him, which I find interesting. A little thing I also find interesting is when Lori sees them going off with their, Amy has a portfolio, Joe has a book, they're all wearing hats and backpacks. And Lori says, well, that's cool to have a picnic and never ask me. And that's at once this very archaic phrasing and very modern, like, oh, they're having a picnic and not inviting me. Cool, cool, cool. (laughs) It's exactly that. Like, (laughs) so perfect. Picnic and not invite me. Like, I love that. Yeah, I noticed that when I was reading too. I love how modern the language can become. It's very fun. It's so fun to read this book. It's And it's it's amazing too that as you're reading, when you say it out loud, Mm -hmm. and I was actually reading another Joe and Lori, I think it's called as another YA continuation or something. And and they tried to use the similar style of language. And it was really jarring for me to read it fresh in a new context. But when I read it here, I think I just translate it in my mind to regular speech. And but when I heard you say one of the lines you read out loud, it sounds really formal and (laughs) dated. But I don't know when I are you like that too? Like when I read it, it doesn't feel that way um, maybe because it's so familiar that it just sounds like oh you know may I come in please or shall I be a bother obviously we don't speak like that but it doesn't feel awkward for some reason no no I think because this was one of the works in Alcott's life that was more from life than anything else I think it really privileged this what for the time would have been a very colloquial off-the-cuff way of speaking a few lines down, Lori says, if Meg don't want me, I'll go away. And and we know that if Meg don't want me, like that's not, that's improper usage, right? For such a posh little boy as Lori, but it's being used off the cuff here. I was reading something about how when the book was published in the UK, because it was published in the US first, some British reviewers were like, the English language is being degraded in this book. If Meg oh, don't wow. want me, how dare? <laughs> so There was an understanding even at the time of this being kind of more like dialect based than formal. Yeah, well, that's fascinating because my edition hasn't Mm -hmm. changed to doesn't. Oh, yeah. What does it say in yours? Mine says, I always liked your games, but if Meg doesn't want me, I'll go away. That's so interesting. (laughs) Yes. I mean, obviously this this book has been edited and the edition I have is the 150th anniversary annotated edition. I know that as the book like, obviously, it's it's public domain now. There have been all kinds of 
abridged versions and versions with modernized language published. I think what I have here is it reproduces Alcott's original text, which was written for readers of her day and thus contains many words and allusions with which we are no longer familiar. So mm. over its 150 year history, it's kind of been tweaked to make it yeah. more legible. But that's yeah, that's so fascinating. That's fascinating. This yeah. Is, I don't know what this is just as Grosset and Dunlap Publishers, New York Companion yeah. Library. This is an old version I have here, but the only copyright information is for the illustrations from 1963. Right. So, yeah. Uh, Depending on what version you're reading, you'll get little different tastes of it. But even with those tweaks, I think the language feels very contemporary, mm-hmm. very you're there. It feels friendly and familial because it is, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I can imagine like this is how kids back then really spoke to each other rather than what we often get in (laughs) the kids literature of this time, which was more based on moral instruction than anything else. Mm -hmm. You rarely got something as how dares a boy hang out with a bunch of girls out in the wilderness. Yeah, yeah. And even the next page where he's asking, what are you doing? And their exchange and you see the different personalities of the sisters coming through Mm -hmm. as each of them talk about it. It's great because you see... Meg says, would you tell him, asked Meg of her sisters. He'll laugh, said Amy warningly. Who cares, said Joe. I guess he'll like it, added Beth. Like, I love that. Yeah. You get something from all of them. And it feels so mm-hmm. real. And then the fact that it comes out that Beth has told him something and Joe's annoyance at her that, oh, you've, well, you've already told him everything that we do. So, oh, you didn't tell him this no. too? You know, I love that. You can totally imagine her getting annoyed at her younger sister for sharing their secrets yes. and then sort of <laughs> yeah. scorning her. Yeah, I think it helps that obviously Joe has this huge soft spot for Lori. In a way, Lori and Beth serve similar roles for Joe, at least one big thing in this chapter is Lori and Beth both being aficionados of the piano and loving the piano. And Beth is, of course, the one to spill the beans to Lori. And Joe is the one who advocates, it seems, for Lori to be invited into the circle, even when Meg says it's a girl's game, he won't be interested, Mm. right? So I don't know, they have this little triangular (laughs) society, even even within this broader group, which is really lovely. Just because I mentioned it, it might be worth talking about the piano here. So we know that Lori's mother, who was Italian, was a musician, and that Lori also talks in this chapter about wanting to be a musician. I'd like to settle in Germany and have just as much music as I choose. I'm to be a famous musician myself and all creation is to rush to hear me. And I'm never to be bothered about money or business, but just enjoy myself and live for what I like, which is, it seems probably based on what we know about Lori's mom, that's the route that she took. But then in the beginning, it says that Lori has displeased his grandfather by practicing half the afternoon on the piano. And then at the end of the chapter, Beth plays to Mr. Lawrence in the twilight and Lori stands in the shadow of the curtain listening to the little David, that's Beth, whose simple music always quieted his moody spirit and watched the old man who sat with his gray head on his hand thinking tender thoughts of the dead child he had loved so much. And so that's a very interesting dynamic here of music is not okay when Lori does it, but when Beth plays the piano, Grandpa Lawrence cannot get enough. Mm -hmm. What do you make of that? Yeah, it's very clear that Grandpa wants Lori to be driven and academic. And so that part I get, especially stereotypically South Asian (laughs) (laughs) attitude as well, that your activities, your activities, but focus on your studies. So, I mean, I get that part, but I don't think I ever fully really understood who it was that Grandpa lost. You know, was it another grandchild? I always thought it was a grandchild, but then I wonder if it was actually a a daughter. I don't know if you know offhand or if you remember. Yeah, Um, let me look up that because yeah it feels important for this discussion yeah late granddaughter it was a granddaughter that's what I had thought as well but I guess from another child then so then Laurie must have 
had uncles or aunts. But yeah, and to me, I always appreciated the sweetness of their relationship and how Beth yeah. is the one who sort of breaks him down or gets into that rough exterior and, and he becomes soft. And, and that was always very sweet. But yeah, I, I never thought about the question you're, you're asking, like, why is it okay for her? I wonder if it is just considered something for, I, I don't know, like at, and that, at that time, like weren't girls asked to play and family functions and part of their training, quote unquote, you know, yeah. <laughs> like being proper society or of whatever course, it was. Yeah. I don't know. So I wonder if it's just more of an expectation of girls or more accepted. I, I don't know. I see it as hypocrisy on Grandpa Lawrence's part and maybe not wanting him to be like his Italian mother. Mm -hmm. I see mm -hmm. a racial aspect to it. I also see a very classically boys shouldn't do girly things mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. element. I'm reminded of Dead Poets Society where the dad and I don't know if you've seen that recently or years ago no I don't remember it yeah. very well it's sort of a, a narrative as old as time almost which is this one boy loves Shakespeare and wants to put on Shakespeare plays and his father is like Shakespeare how dare you you have to go to military school <laughs> like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see a little shades of that here I know from studying this time period and the Alcott's social circle something I talk about a lot is May Alcott's diary she was the real life Amy and she has this fantastic stretch of her journal where she goes on a beach vacation with a bunch of boys and there's one night they're all out by the campfire and all the boys take turns singing to her <laughs> oh wow it's very much like courtship they're trying yeah. to impress her by singing so it couldn't have been boys can't have musical training that's simply not proper but right for whatever reason it displeases his grandfather to hear him playing the piano and meanwhile he's brought to tears by Beth playing the piano mm -hmm. it's like it's mm -hmm. a very it's a weird yeah. thing to reckon with yeah it also illuminates why Lori wants to be welcomed into the girls world so much because his own house is so like he has his grandfather he has his male tutor that's it <laughs> you mm -hmm. know he doesn't have a lot of female influence in, in, in his life I've talked with a couple of trans women on this podcast who read Lori as trans feminine. And I think there's a lot to that interpretation. I think I would like agree. But even if you don't go that route, it's clear that Lori is just really wanting to be a part of a world of women, to have female friends. The romantic attraction to Joe, I don't even read that much in this chapter. Do you? Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Yeah. No, he's like, I just want to be your friend and help you and shake pine cones down from the tree for you. It's mm -hmm. not dying to go and be with his crush. Like that's not, right. that's not right. dynamic. Yeah. Poor Lori. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And then on top of that, the defensiveness, I really appreciate yeah. the part where Meg lets on that she's been monitoring him based yeah. on <laughs> his tutor's reactions and how he walks away and if he's in a good mood or in a bad yeah. mood. And, <laughs> and I love when he's like, oh, I didn't realize that you had set up this telegraph system. You know, <laughs> he's so snarky. I love that part yeah you know you can see that he's embarrassed all of a sudden for having yeah. been observed <laughs> like that but at the same time it's nice to have somebody care that much that they're yes, paying attention yeah. and I think that comes through too yeah and we see that in the way that Beth is observing him and he's like oh maybe someone's been paying attention to John Brooke he can kind of tease mm. her about it but he also is like okay well I'll be good and steady <laughs> like, right right totally he wants to make Meg proud. He wants to make Marmy proud. He is very eager to submit to Joe and do whatever she says. He loves this family. It's yeah. really lovely to see. And it's occurring to me now, we barely talked about the wishes, <laughs> the castles oh, in the yeah. air. What I think is interesting is normally in a book like this, in a scene like this, it's foreshadowing what's to come. But this is almost a disestablishing moment because none of them really get what they want. 
Mm-hmm. Well, one part that stuck out to me when yeah. I was reading it is when they're talking about the castles and the air being mm-hmm. the ultimate castle in the air, whatever they describe it. And when yeah. Beth almost expresses an impatience to get to be there, I thought maybe yeah. that was a touch of foreshadowing there. Yeah. But when they're actually talking about their own personal castles and their dreams. Yeah, you're right. All of them. I say all of them, but Lori, Meg, Joe, and Amy all have ambitions to be rich and famous and mm-hmm. sometimes to travel the world. And Beth's castle in the air is mine is to stay at home safe with father and mother and help take care of the family. And she doesn't even get that. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's heartbreaking. Lori even says, you don't wish for anything else? And she goes, well, since I had my little piano, I am perfectly satisfied. I only wish we may all keep well <laughs> and be together nothing else and not even that it's just very yeah sad it's very sad yeah (laughs) that's the most heartrending thing to read just Mm -hmm. knowing what's coming knowing what's to come yeah very much at odds with joe moments earlier saying i'll have a stable full of arabian steeds rooms piled with books and i'll write out of a magic ink stand so that my work should be as famous as laurie's music (laughs) very very different hopes for the future here yeah (laughs) And she wants to be heroic, right? She has that too. That's interesting. Knowing what we know about what Joe has said earlier about wanting to be a boy so that she could go fight in the war and what Alcott said over and over again (laughs) in journals, which was, I long to be a man. A lot of Alcott's most explicit expressions of disidentification with womanhood were in this time when she was seeing all of her male friends from Concord go off to fight in the Civil War and saying, I want to be there too. I long to be a man. She was the only one of the Alcott sisters who enlisted as a nurse. And on the day that she went off to Washington, D.C. to the hospital, Bronson Alcott, her father, said, I feel as though my only son has gone to war, which (laughs) so, so it's interesting to read. I want to do something heroic or wonderful in the context of what Joe has said she wanted. And we know that Alcott wanted in this period, which was, as Alcott said, to go and give the saucy Southerners a piece of my mind. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. We know that Joe isn't going to get to do that, but she wants to do something heroic and she doesn't know what, but she's on the watch for it and she means to astonish us all. Yeah. Um, By the end of Joe's Boys, I know that Joe is a published author. So that does come true in the fullness of time, but not by the end of Little Women Volume 2, which is interesting. Yeah. 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 Other than her little Mm -hmm. stories, right? Her little story. Yeah. She publishes a novel, it said, but it doesn't go over well, which is really funny. She publishes a novel and it just doesn't do what she wanted it to. That's another interesting thing for a book of this kind, because obviously we're rooting for Joe and her dream kind of comes true. She does get to be a published author, but she doesn't light the world on fire quite the way she wished which is interesting oh laurie says we're an ambitious set aren't we every one of us but beth wants to be rich and famous and gorgeous in every respect i do wonder if any of us will ever get our wishes yeah and that they all recognize that they Mm -hmm. have the keys at least some of them and i I actually love this too when he's like you have your face (laughs) (laughs) but she's like i don't have a key And it's so condescending and yet true at the same time yeah. for what that was and how she was regarded too. So yeah, I always appreciated his relationship with Meg, the little yeah. flirtationship or whatever it was. <laughs> like you could totally see his admiration for her. And at the same time, it did seem very maternal. Yeah. Um, like she was almost like little Marmy to him. Yeah. He uses the word sisterly. He says to Meg, I want you to be sisterly to me. Is that I'm after saying. she reprimands him? I think so. Yeah. But it's interesting to read that comment. The family dynamic is kind of already there when he's saying you have your key in your face. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) You're so pretty. You can get any guy you want. Right. Right. 
Yeah, it's a very sweet thing running through the book. I just did Camp Lawrence last week with another person and highlighted that when asked, they're playing truth or dare, basically. And someone asked Lori, who's the prettiest? And he says, Meg, without a moment's hesitation. Mm -hmm. And Joe is right there. And that chapter, I think, does see Lori's crush on Joe. But even when asked directly, like, who's the prettiest March sister? He's like, Meg, duh. (laughs) (laughs) Here he's saying again, you're so pretty. Yeah, yeah. He's like, those are just the facts, right? Like in his head, he's just like, whatever. (laughs) It's very cute. We talked about this with Meg goes to Vanity Fair, which is a weird one. Meg is punished for being feminine. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, but one way to read Lori being a stinker in that chapter is that he's jealous of how feminine Meg gets to be and all the beautiful things that she gets to wear. Lori is of admiring her silk boots. And we know that Lori doesn't get to wear things like that or play the piano because it's too girly. He kind of has to ask permission before even joining in on this girl's game. I think we're more used to seeing, and I'm talking about kind of contemporary literature, we're used to kind of seeing the tomboy figure who wants in on the boy's world. A figure like Lori, I think, is still genuinely rare. A boy who genuinely wants in on girly things, femininity, hobbies that are considered the domain of girls, and prizing sister-mother relationships. It's very interesting and unusual, I think, for the time and even for today. Can you mm. think of any similar characters? Yeah, not offhand. No. <laughs> All I can really think of are middle grade and picture books that are for trans girls and are explicitly spelling out, mm-hmm. I want to be a girl. Yeah, <laughs> I want, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's normalized to the same degree outside of that little market niche. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see it here. And especially because we know that Alcott really didn't identify with being a girl at all, that she's mm-hmm. still able to paint this portrait of someone who really wants into that world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything else you want to highlight? Any favorite moments in this chapter or things we haven't touched on yet? I mean, there's so much, but... <laughs> so much. Yeah. Well, just the dichotomy that his dream is so in line with mm-hmm. Joe's dream, but she can't have those things. The sailing away and going to college, just the freedom to do whatever he wants. And that she, from the very beginning, you get the sense with Joe that she wants to live vicariously through him from even their first meeting and when she sees all his books. So that part I just found so touching in terms of their relationship and where you know it's heading, but what he means to her and what he offers her, I think yeah. is just so sweet. And yeah. I love that she's his champion too. Yes. She wants him there and then the others are cool with him, but yeah. it's just a very sweet relationship. So yeah. Um, love that it shines through here little pieces of it yeah it definitely does there are a lot of moments around this point in the narrative where you know when twins speak the same secret language to one another it's very that joe and Lori are just utterly on the same wavelength wanting the same things trying to express themselves the same way i'm looking at the part you spoke about just now and it says Lori. he's saying i want to just break away and plead myself as my father did if there was anyone left to stay with the old gentleman i'd do it tomorrow He spoke excitedly and looked ready to carry his threat into execution on the slightest provocation, for he was growing up very fast and in spite of his indolent ways had a young man's hatred of subjection, a young man's restless longing to try the world for himself. So Alcott specifically identifies these attributes as manly. And then immediately, Joe says, I advise you to sail away in one of your ships and never come home again until you have tried your way, said Joe, whose imagination was fired by the thought of such a daring exploit, which is interesting because that implies Joe also has the young man's hatred of subjection, also has the young man's restless longing. It's this moment of Joe identifying with boyhood and manhood in the way that Laurie is presenting, which is interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then Meg think, cuts yeah, in for- is like, no, 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 don't run away. <laughs> Be good. <laughs> Be good. Do what you're supposed to do. And yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why I think for me, you know, I love them all. And for me, it was so, mm-hmm. you know, my book, I tell it from Jamila's point of view, who's my yeah, Joe yeah. character. And it was weird to go back and realize that this book isn't told from Joe's point of view. Yeah. Because for me, it always was. Even yeah. you pointing out that this chapter is Lori's point of view. Of course it is. And I knew there were the Amy chapters and the Meg chapters. Yeah. But for me, it was Joe's story in my heart. That's how I was yes. reading the whole text. <laughs> so it's just interesting how I, I wonder when you talk to a lot of people, is anyone ever like, I'm Beth or I'm Meg? Or does everyone read as Joe? You know what? Yeah, I, I was surprised. Did I even ask you at the outset? I don't think I did. Oh, I no. should ask you now, yeah. which March sister do you identify with? Joe, primarily. I (laughs) think if you ask my sister, my older sister, she'd probably put me in the Amy bracket. (laughs) And I I think there's probably more Amy in me than I would care to admit. But in terms of who I saw myself with and connected with the most in terms Mm -hmm. of, I guess, the literary aspirations and just whose company I preferred and Mm -hmm. games I like to play and the way I wanted to be as a kid, I was very much like Joe. Yeah. Right. I didn't ask you up top because I asked about your relationship to Little Women. I was like, all right. And now here are my 17 questions about more to the story. <laughs> no, I love it. Don't worry. But yeah. You identify as a Joe. I also identify as a Joe. I have had Meg's, Beth's, Amy's. People come in with all kinds of identifications. I find that I'm often like, I'll have a friend on who I'm like, this is a total Amy. And they'll be like, yeah, I'm a Beth. That's... <laughs> You'd think I wouldn't mix, mix those up, but yeah, yeah, often I find I get the best in Amy's twisted. I find that I've had people coming in saying, yep, I'm a Meg, which is interesting because I feel like Meg really gets short shrift in every adaptation too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> because I think what you're saying is so true. We remember this as Joe's story and we might have diversions where Amy has a chapter or Lori gets to narrate a chapter, but I think that might be just the residue of the movies because- the movies live or die on how good the Joe is, right? Mm-hmm. But the book, this is really an ensemble piece. Mm-hmm. Every sister gets their own moment to shine. Maybe just because the book is, it's not a short book. My edition is 464 pages long and yours is, like it has little men in it as well. But can I see yeah. it again? It's just it's so yeah. <laughs> It's so massive. Look how thick it is. Oh my God. Yeah. That's I'm like how many pages works. in that thing? So for little women alone, it's... Oh my goodness. It ends on page 500. Wow. Okay. So yeah. yeah and then little men is yeah. another 300. So this is an 800 yeah. page volume. Yeah. And so for your book, more to the story, obviously for middle grade readers, I've got you at 258, not including yeah. the acknowledgements or anything else. If you have a 90 minute movie or you have 250 pages, there's only so much you can really get into. And it makes sense to zero in on Joe. But I think in adaptations, the other sisters get neglected a little bit, which mm-hmm, is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Devlin yeah. pretty much gets equal screen time here. And maybe not Amy, but. <laughs> yeah, but I guess that's also the nature of the screen time too. Yeah. You know, because yeah. I feel like as a reader, as a young reader, I think I dislike the Amy chapters the most. Yeah. I, I don't know why. I use the word dislike, but I'm saying I, those are my mm-hmm. least preferred chapters. And I don't know if it was because I secretly knew that I was a brat, you know, <laughs> so I didn't like reading about that as much or I don't know. But for me, I didn't love those as much. And then the Beth chapters are very sweet or very sad. So I think those weren't my favorite. I, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I, I guess from in my mind, it wasn't balanced. I think yeah. I, I very much saw it as Joe being the, the heroine yes. and everyone else being a supporting. Yeah. And I think you're not alone in that. Even if we look at the afterlife of Little Women, in a way, every prominent heroine of the past hundred years just is Joe. 
Mm-hmm. Katniss Everdeen is Joe. Hermione Granger is Joe. Rory Gilmore is Joe. Yeah. This book didn't spawn a generation of Megs or Beth necessarily. I think Joe is really central and I, I get why we focus on her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's interesting to come back and just see how much bigger the cast is than maybe we remember. Yeah. yeah much totally. deeper rather. Yeah. Well, this has been such a good conversation. Hannah, is there anything else you want to say before we sign up? Because I truly don't want to keep you here all night. But <laughs> Oh, no, I could keep talking to you all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this has been so much fun. Thank you yeah. for inviting me and yeah. for having this conversation. This was so fun for me. I would be happy to come back yeah. <laughs> if you just want to chat about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, I mean, I will, I will keep you on the list. <laughs> That's perfect. So where can people find you online? What should they check out? What projects are you working on right now? Oh, thank you. I'm working on a new middle grade novel right now with a a new family. Actually, it initially, I thought of maybe a sequel or a companion novel to this one where it would Mm -hmm. feature Amy, my Amy, which is Aliza, but then I ended up changing it into a standalone new middle grade, which is still Mm -hmm. untitled, and some other picture books and a graphic novel in the works. But if you want to hear about my books, you can follow me at Hanahan Books or I update my website, which is just hanahan.com with news and new new publications. So uh, I hope you will connect with me, readers out there, (laughs) listeners out there. Yes, Um, definitely go to hanahan.com, check out more to the story. I mean, I can personally vouch for it, no matter how old you are. It's just lovely and charming to read this in your voice. And you can find me, Peyton Thomas, online at peytonthomas.ca. I'm on Twitter at Peytonology. And you can buy my book, Both Sides Now, wherever books are sold. Thank you so much. This was really such a pleasure. It was so lovely to meet you and chat with you. Thank you. All right. I will let you go. I won't take up your entire evening. Have a good night. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye.